I want to remind you that if you are in the room or you're watching online and you would not call yourself a follower of Jesus or the way of Jesus, God has different expectations of you. God does not hold you to the same standard that he holds those of us that would claim to follow him, those of us who have surrendered our life to him. For those of us in the room or online that, that are people that follow the way of Jesus, I do want you to know God has expectations of you, and he has different expectations of you. And it's a little bit like parenting. See, I, I think about other kids, and I recognize that I am not responsible for parenting them. And I know you can be in environments where you watch kids behaving and you kind of want to parent them, right? But generally, you just know I'm not responsible for parenting them. Their primary allegiance isn't to me, it's to their parents. But my kids, I am responsible for my kids, and my kids are responsible to me. Jeff was talking about a five-year-old who was swimming, and, uh, and that happened to be my son. Now, if Parker was like, hey, I really enjoyed swimming at Jeff's pool. I peed so much inside of it. It was so good. I would be going, hey, man, not cool. You don't tell anyone. You just do it quietly. <laughs> I have expectations of my kids. I have expectations of my kids because they're mine, and I love them, and I want to see them thrive. I don't have expectations of my kids because I want to rob them of all fun in their life and restrict them. I look at them and I go, I want you to experience life to the full, and I want to give you things that will help you to grow, to be a well-adjusted human, to deal with things well, and to thrive in their life. And, and I want to be a good dad. And, and some of us, I think, in the room, if we're being honest, and I won't ask you to put your hand up, but some of us, we sometimes struggle to reconcile God the Father, Heavenly Father, with our dad because he was anything but good. But I want to just remind you that God is a good father. He has expectations of us, and they are for us to thrive he wants to put to death the things that are killing us. He wants us to experience life as he intends it to be. And one of the expectations that God has for us is that as Christians that we would live lives or lead lives of holiness or that we would embrace holy living. Now, I am very aware that as soon as you say a word like holiness, it conjures all sorts of baggage for some of us. We have a picture in our mind of what that actually looks like. I was thinking about even this week. My parents grew up in a tradition that was, that was more legalistic or had more rules. They went to Bible college. And they were told that if, if you go to movies, that, that, that's sin and wrong, regardless of the movie. And so in the 80s, when my parents went to the movie theater to go see Star Wars... My dad was half convinced that God would strike him down with lightning outside of the, the theater. And so for some of us, we have this idea when we think about holiness, and we're like, does that mean no movies or no games or no dancing? Like, what does that look like? We have a paradigm in our mind. And I, I want to just let you know that holy living is more costly than that, but it's way more beautiful. 
Paul Tripp says this about holiness. Paul Tripp is a pastor and author, and he says this. To say you are holy means that you have been set apart by God's grace for God's purpose. Your allegiance is no longer to the kingdom of your success and happiness. Even that's like a mic drop right there. But to the progress of his, God's kingdom of glory and grace. And where do you do this? You do this wherever you are, whomever you're with, and in whatever you're doing. And then it says, you have been called to holy living. This means that between the already of your conversion and the not yet of your homecoming, home going, so between you coming to faith and you being with God in heaven, that, that your obedience actually matters. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice and every action must be done in a spirit of humble surrender to the commands of God. As you consider the impossibility of this call, take time to remember that God never calls you to a task without enabling you to do it. God calls us to be holy and then sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we would have the wisdom and strength that we need to surrender to his holy call in all that we do. This, this, this description of holiness was striking and helpful to me. And this morning, I want us to look at an ancient letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. It speaks powerfully to our cultural and current moment as we think about the flesh, one of the enemies of our soul, and we consider what does it mean to live holy lives. So I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible or if you have the app, turn to Ephesians 4, verse 17. Ephesians 4, verse 17. And I'll give you a second to, to you can, you can, Open it while I'm praying. I want to pray before we dig in. Ephesians 4, 17. God, thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. Thank you that you call us to something more. God, I'm so grateful that you speak to us. I'm so grateful that you are active and at work. And that you're trying to get our attention. And so in this moment, as we have all sorts of things distracting us, I pray that you would remove those. We have all sorts of things that are maybe holding us back from hearing you or from experiencing you, or even from believing that you actually love us, God, would you strip that away? And in the midst of all of the noise, would your still small voice, your whisper cut through all of it? Would you speak to us? God, speak through me. I need you. We need you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 4, verse 17. And it's, it's helpful to understand that Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, the, this environment that, that was very pagan, so non-Christian, and also full of idols, full of things that they were going, this will satisfy me. And, and if you think that idols are just a, a first century problem, take a look at our lives and you realize we're idol factories. Ephesians 4 verse 17 says this, Paul's writing, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their mind and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now notice how Paul is starting. He, he's speaking with authority. But he's not relying on authority that comes from being voted in or having a position of power or having a title. 
He is leaning on the authority of who? He's leaning not on his authority, but on Jesus' authority. He's saying, hey, I'm saying this with all authority, but it's not my authority, it's Jesus' authority. And he's comparing the typical Christian life with a typical pagan life. He says Gentile, but it's someone who would not follow Jesus and, and, and live in line with the way of Jesus. He's comparing those. Now, if you've noticed anything through this series is, is there's a contrast. The way of the world and the way of Jesus, the, the, the sinful nature or the flesh and the way of the spirit or life in the spirit. There are two different ways. And he's reminding us what we may have remembered from previous weeks, that those lives are in contrast to each other. They're opposed to each other. And he says, don't live like the Gentiles do. And then he says, for they are hopelessly confused. And I was struck by this. I was thinking, how many of us are living hopelessly confused lives? Or we see people living these kind of lives. They seem hopelessly confused. They're so confused about what to do and how to live. And, and I do want you to know that as Jesus followers, that there's a degree that we are invited to live unconfused lives. And if you think about if something is confusing, it's without focus. And as Jesus followers, we're actually invited to live a focused life. Jesus at the very center of every single thing that we do. And, and our life is to live with Jesus at the center, and our surrender to him is the, the consistent focus that causes us to live unconfused lives, because we're not confused about who our authority is. It's Jesus. We're not confused about who our leader is. We're not confused about all of that. Now, we make ourselves more confused the more that we go, well, if I could just add some things on to Jesus. But the more that we actually rediscover what Jesus is saying, you, you fix your eyes on him and you realize, you know what, I'm pretty clear on what we need to do. And in contrast to the way of Jesus, there are people who are confused. Those who, those who live separately from the creator of the universe and his plan for their life. Those who hope that maybe they'll find satisfaction, but do it outside of Jesus. And Paul says this group of people in verse 18, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, notice what he's saying. He's saying they wander far from the life that God gives, and he shows how they're doing that because they've done two things. They've closed their minds, and they've hardened their hearts. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you would recognize that certain communities maybe prioritize certain things. So there are some churches that they, their absolute focus is the intellectual understanding. It's understanding good theology and orthodoxy, and, and all of that is beautiful, but sometimes at the expense of actually changing people's hearts. Because you can know all sorts of stuff, but if your heart isn't broken for the things that God's heart is broken for, there's a problem. But it can be the other way around. You can be in environments where it moves your heart and you feel it emotionally and you're so drawn in, but you don't know what you believe or think and you have no idea why any of it matters. Neither are fully helpful on their own. 
But we find that there's this interconnectedness between our minds and our hearts. It's important that we see both, that we understand that truth has the power to change our minds, to liberate our minds and soften our hearts. It's our mind and our hearts. They're both, they're both essential, and we, it can't be one over the other. They're both interconnected. And the truth is that some of us, I think some of us in the room, do have hardened hearts or numbed hearts. Some of us are like, oh, my heart's not that hard. It's just numb. I just don't want to feel anything, think through anything, identify what I'm feeling or what I've gone through. I just would rather live up here in the intellectual pursuit and not actually address anything in the heart. And we see here that Paul is explaining that a darkness of mind leads to a deadness of our soul. That if our mind is dark, it actually, it, it harms our soul, it harms our heart. One commentary said it like this, and it, and it stuck with me. Having lost all sensitivity, people lose all self-control. Lost all sensitivity, people lose all self-control. And, and we, we see this, when we close our minds and we harden our hearts, we live without restraint, we do things that harm us, seeking some sort of satisfaction. We go, if I could just get this, then that'll make me feel better. And we don't actually identify the root of the problem. We just try to mask it and add something on. And in verse 19, Paul calls this living for lustful pleasure. Lustful pleasure is the unrestrained pursuit of pleasure or self-gratification. Unrestrained. Unrestrained. And we live in a culture that restraints are seen as repressive. If you restrain anything that you want to do, that is wrong. But the way of Jesus actually says there are some things you should restrain yourself from. There are some things that you want to do that aren't actually helpful. They harm you. And Paul is describing, like you would think he's writing to us in 2023. Because there's a degree that you're like, welcome to all of humanity, constantly going, well, this other new thing, if I could just do this thing and be free to do whatever I want to do, that'll satisfy me. And again, I just, I want you to constantly be noticing for all the lies that we're told, and they are lies about what will satisfy you, we have the lowest rates of satisfaction in life. People are less happy than ever. We have higher rates of anxiety, higher rates of depression. I do want you to know they're connected. Because it's this lie that if I just get all this stuff and do whatever I want, that'll solve everything, and it doesn't actually solve the thing that's at the heart of it. It just, it's darkness of mind that leads to hardness of heart or deadness of soul. And this is not the way of Jesus. Paul even says so in verse 20. He says, that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. There's this beautiful thing that happens when someone comes to faith. When they come to faith, they become a new creation. Language that we see is that they're born again. Or they're, they're born new. They're a new creation. Suddenly the old is, is past and they become a new person. And I've seen it. 
And I've seen that when people come to faith and they, and they actually give their life to Jesus, that they're more sensitive to what God's saying. They're more willing to read the Bible and find themselves actually doing what it says. But over time, what happens is it's like the new car smell that wears off is we drift and we become complacent and we let in garbage and we find ourselves not quite as passionate as we once were. Not, not quite as willing to actually do what he asks, obedient as we once were. And, and I, I, I want you to understand something that maybe in your life you've experienced and went, yeah, I noticed that, that, that the, power of, the power of faith is not just in the extraordinary moments, though those are substantial and important. I don't want to diminish the extraordinary. Those can happen. But it's also in the ordinary, everyday moments this is why in a previous week I talked about compound interest, small things compounding over time. That is what has the most impact. And we live in a culture that is so instant. Like I, I microwave something for a minute and I'm like 45 seconds going, think it's done yet? Which is crazy when you think about. We have shorter attention spans and so we want instantaneously. And listen, sometimes God does things instantaneously. Sometimes people come to faith instantaneously and everything shifts but then there's the process after that. And some of us, we are in the process going, am I the only one that it just seems like everyone else, it's just easy and all fits? That's all lies. That for all of us, it's this daily, ongoing journey of surrendering to his will and, and saying, I, I, I reject, I don't want to harden my heart. I, I don't, I don't want to just close off my mind. I want you it's so important that we understand that this ongoing process is something that we are responsible to partner with God in. Paul specifically says in this section, throw off your old sinful nature or your flesh and put on your new nature. Now, I'm, I'm miming it because I keep thinking about this, and I, I want you to understand that the language that Paul's using is meant to evoke clothing. It's meant to evoke this sense of putting something on after you've taken something off. I want you to just think about this from a, from a really practical perspective. Imagine you went to prison, and you spent time in prison, and you did the whole thing. You wore the yellow or the, the orange jumpsuit. You got the full experience. You, you did your sentence, and you were free. You go out into the world... Do you think that you would be going, you know, well, for nostalgia, I'm just going to chuck on the orange jumpsuit? Just the good old days. Of course not. You'd be going, what? I'm free. Why would I carry around or put on something that shows that I was enslaved or in bondage? Why would I do that? Now, we can understand that intellectually, but the truth is that's what many of us do in our spiritual life. Is we've been made new, we throw off our old sinful nature, but we carry around the clothes just in case we want to just enjoy a few things. We're like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just put a few things on. Sunday, I'm good. Sunday, no prison clothes. I'm good. Monday, I'll just try it on. See how it feels. And in that, we deaden our minds and we harden our hearts. This is what we so often do when it comes to faith, and then we wonder why we are where we are. What happens is people drift or they revert. 
what happens is we revert and we drift and we start to believe lies, lies of what it means to actually experience life as it should be and go, well, God must be holding back on some things, holding out. And I think I was happier back then, which is always a lie. You remember things in the past way more fondly than they actually were. And so you go, maybe about that one time that I was doing the stuff that I know I shouldn't be doing, and I felt simpler. I felt like I had less conviction, and I wasn't as guilty feeling all the time. And so we go back to what was. And so the very life that was killing us, we, we have nostalgia for and we try to put on instead of fully, daily, embracing the way of life found in Jesus. And, and I just want to encourage you, we, we have to be consistently putting away our old standards and our old way of life and instead embrace the new way of life that Jesus offers. But I want to let you know, because I think sometimes you can feel this and you can even walk out and go, I'm going to do that this week. I want you to know it's not just by sheer force of will. Because our willpower, it's really interesting how our willpower is strong if we've slept a lot or aren't hungry, but as soon as we're tired and hungry, our willpower diminishes significantly. And then we're like, I'm a failure, I'm a terrible Christian. I, wa I want you to know it's not just our willpower. It is our surrender in partnership with the work of the Holy Spirit. We are responsible for our part in partnership with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul actually says, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And that's not the first time that Paul says it. There's other times where he's saying, let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. But I, I want you to think and notice even about that line. It does remind us that we have the power to resist or surrender. The invitation here is you have to let him renew you. He wants to do something in each of us. And the question becomes, am I letting him? Am I letting him actually do what he wants to do? Or are you trying to wear your prison clothes and pretend like you're free? You keep putting it on and go, I'll take them off for Sunday as long as people think I'm okay. And God's going, I see all of you. He's saying, let, let me. Let me do what I specialize in, transforming your mind, renewing your thoughts, changing your attitudes. Because what we do is we throw off our old sinful nature, our old flesh, and we put on the new nature. Paul, in his wisdom, offers us some deep theology, and then he offers some really practical ways to actually do this. Paul offers some practices, specific things. But I want you to notice, it's the same language of taking off something and putting on. So it's not just about removing something, it's about replacing it with something better. Because the truth is that some of us as Christians, we look at our lives and we're like, yeah, I don't want to wear this prison garment anymore. And so you throw it off, but you don't replace it with something better that's in the way of Jesus. And then you find yourself going, I feel really naked and exposed. And you're going, yeah, because you're not meant to live like that. And so it's, it's important for us to think remove and replace. And so in verse 25, we see this pattern. Paul says this, so stop telling lies. We're like, yeah, of course, stop telling lies. But then he says, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing, 
Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And then we skip ahead to verse 31 where it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Remove. But then we find replace. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, if I was to go back and just give a a really quick summary of all the things that he's saying, he's saying, don't tell lies. Instead, tell the truth. Don't lose your temper. Instead, make sure your anger is actually righteous. Make sure that if you're angry, it's you're angry at stuff that God is angry about, not just your pet projects. Don't steal. Instead, work and give. Live generously. Don't speak carelessly. Instead, use your words for good. And don't be unkind or bitter, but instead, build up. Build others up with your words. See, the way of Jesus, if we actually live in the way that he's inviting us to live, we start to find our life crowding out all the other stuff, the things that we don't actually want to do, and filled more and more with the kind of life that we want to live. And I want, I want you just to understand the context even of this. It's really, really important. When we think about living our lives in, in a way that is holy or experiencing holiness, some of us, we think that's just between God and I. I don't know if you noticed it when I was going through it, but if you look at all of this piece of advice, all these, this advice that Paul is getting, every single one of them is connected to relationships. You notice that? Every single one is in the context of community. Because I think for some of us, we're like, yeah, yeah, holiness, that, yeah, yeah, by myself, and God's going, no, 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 with others. John Stott says this, he says, holiness is not a mystical condition experienced in relation to God, but in isolation from human beings. And I think that's sometimes what we think. That it's this mystical thing we experience, I'm holy before you, God, and then I deal with people, and I'm like, I'm not holy anymore. Like, I, I can be holy in my prayer room or by myself, but I get around people, and people are difficult, and it's hard to be holy, and it's where God goes, yeah, the point is not for you to be holy on your own. The point for you is in community to grow into holiness, to actually experience and then become the kind of community that represents a counterculture to the world around us. Some of us think we can actually grow to become all that we are meant to be outside of community, and it can't happen. It's one of the problems that we have in North America is we say things like, my personal relationship with Jesus, and it is a personal relationship with Jesus, but if you looked at the early church, they would have never separated personal from communal, ever. They're like, yeah, you have access to God, but we are all in that together. And I think for some of us, we go, but that's hard. Like, it's, it's really easy to think through, okay, I'm just going to not lose my temper and just be really kind to other people until you deal with people that are difficult to love. And then you're like, what's wrong with you? And we're like, oh, I, sh- I know I shouldn't feel this way, but we do. And I think at some level, we just, instead of actually identifying, I wonder what that says about me. And, and we look even at some of Paul's verse, and he talks about 
being tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I think the more that we understand and remind ourselves of what God has done for us, the more we have compassion for others. Because the more I go like, man, I, I'm a, I've got my own stuff, and I just know there are times that I struggle with believing that God actually loves me, and yet he does, I am invited to extend that to other people. Not live like, I'll receive that, you don't deserve it, And I think for so many of us, what we're missing is we've been just trying to do that on our own. And so I want to challenge and encourage you. It's in community. This is where we actually get to live this out, where it is difficult, and we're invited to surrender to the Holy Spirit instead of hardening our hearts. Because people are people. And there will be times that people let us down. And if we conflate people who are imperfect with God, who is perfect, we'll find ourselves just hardening our hearts, protecting ourselves a little bit more, and not actually experiencing the kind of deep transformation we're invited into. If you go back to verse 30, we find instead this this invitation, and it says this. Paul says, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. It's really important for us to understand why we do what we do. Because some of us in the room are like, I just need to do more for God to prove that that what he did for me was worth it and to to earn my love, to earn his love. And I just, I wanna just let you know how much of a bottomless pit that is and that's not something that God has ever said that we understand that when we surrender our life to Jesus, when we give him every single bit of our life, we experience new life. And he looks at us like he looks at Jesus, perfect and sinless. And he sees us and he restores us back to him. And so our identity is secure. Whose we are, who we belong to, where our worth is found, it's secure. We know it's found in God through the work that Jesus did. And so we're not doing things to earn an identity, but out of our identity should inform our activity. If we know whose we are and who we belong to, it means that it should change what we do. Because my kids belong to me, because they know I am a from, and there are things that we do as froms, there's activity that comes out of that. And, and when, it looks, when, it, when, we, when it comes to following Jesus, there are things that we actually do because of who we belong to. John Stott, in another, another section, says this, and I think it's incredibly helpful. He says, in a word, recreation, what God does, and repentance, what we do by his grace, belong together and cannot be separated. And I think that that's one of the things that we do sometimes. We're like, I'm saved by grace, and so it really doesn't matter how I live. And you go, you are saved by grace. A gift that you could never earn. That's the best news. Reconciled to the relationship you were desperately looking for. But then we're invited to die to ourselves. To take up his cross. To live a life of repentance where we consistently say, not my will, but your will be done. We lay aside our old life, not just at conversion, but daily. 
every single day surrendering our way of life under the lordship of Jesus. And in case you haven't caught it, I want you to know this is not a quick or one-time thing. And I think that, that sometimes it's hard for us because we're just we want it to be simple and easy. And it might be simple, but it is not easy. And it's not reduced to just having a quiet time every morning with God or, or kind of just jamming him in so you check your box, you op- wake up and open your Bible and quickly read a few verses and go, now I did my part and then I can just move on. Instead, is it, it is about every single moment of every single day actually living an active surrender to everything that he's saying and inviting us into. It's actually apprenticing in the way of Jesus. That's why I think the way of Jesus is helpful language. It's what the early church was. They didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. And follower of the way means you're following the way all the time. It's a way of life. It's not just something you compartmentalize. And for us, it's living in a different way in every single moment of every single day to actually die to our old life and embrace his life. And if you're a a, a Jesus follower, to to take off your sinful nature and to put on a new nature. For us to stop wearing our prison clothes and instead wear the clothes that he has given us that we did not earn and yet have access to. To find and discover and live out of this identity and a new way of life. Remove the old and put on the new. Don't tell lies, instead tell the truth. Imagine if we just lived lives actually telling the truth. We'd find ourselves not lying. Like it's not even that complicated. Or or if we, instead of losing our temper, instead we actually reflected going, I feel angry, what is that? Is that a control thing? Is Is that a people thing? Or is there something that God is stirring in my heart? And am I talking to community about that? Don't steal Fairly straightforward. Don't take other people's stuff. But then there's also this invitation, don't steal from God. God's invitation is for us to live generous lives. And it says instead we're to work and to give, that we take what we have given by God and we give it for the sake of others. Part of the reason that the early church thrived and exploded was because Christians lived self, actually selfless lives and everyone took notice. Imagine if that was us. In a culture that says you are the sum total of all the things you buy and own and show off, and if we went, it's not about me and my own stuff, and I'm going to live generously. Imagine the impact that that might have. Or don't speak carelessly for every Facebook post or Twitter rant or, or things where someone says something callous. Imagine if we were measured with our words and we used our words for good to tell people how much God actually loves them, to live in a way that is different. Don't be unkind or bitter, but instead build up with your words. Like, can you imagine honestly if every single day we just went, God, who do you want to use? Who do you want to speak to and use me to encourage? Because I know it. I've talked to enough people that one of the things is the struggling of God. God can't, God doesn't love me, or he, if he knew, or I know me, and there's no way that his love would be there. What if we were able to actually embody that and communicate in a way that is sacrificial and cares for others? 
Like the invitation is for us to live differently. Out of our identity comes our activity. And maybe you're in the room or you're watching online and you've never actually surrendered to the way of Jesus. And yet you're going like, I want to get rid of my old life and I want new life. I do want you to know that there's something in you that is searching for what only God can offer. And I recognize, especially those of us that have been around in church, that sometimes people are people and we forget that God is God and he is different and other. And so you have all sorts of stuff and you struggle with how can God love me or does God really know or care and what does he ask for and all those pieces. But I do want to let you know that Jesus came, lived a perfect life for you and would do it if it was only for you to restore you to the only relationship that you could never bridge. Because we're sinful and broken people. The best of us still does not always do all the right things. And then any bit of sin separates us from God. And so there's this part of us that we're going, I'm looking for something. And if I can just succeed my way to it or affirm, get an affirmation to it, if I can just do this, then it'll be good. And it'll never be enough. It's because God's going, you were made for me. There's eternity on your heart. And all you have to do is surrender your life to me. Costs you everything. But it's a free gift, restoring you back to God the Father. And if, if you've never done that, I would love to talk with you after the service. You can fill out a connect card or you can come find Lee or I. Today could be the day that you find new life through a relationship with Jesus. That you take off your prison clothes and you put on new clothes. But if you're here in the room and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, I want to leave you with some questions for reflection and implication. As we prayerfully consider, I, I, don't, I don't want us to just go like, yeah, that's really good. I should do that at some point. I want us to go, what does it look like Monday, Tuesday, as we leave, Sunday, Wednesday, every single day for us to actually position our hearts and, and asking the question, God, what do you want to do? As we remove the old and put on the new. Two questions, and I'm going to leave them up. One, what am I actually and actively removing from my old way of life? What am I actually and actively removing from my old way of life? And I want to remind you, as, as Paul talked about, and as I mentioned, through repentance and surrender. How am I actually actively repenting of things? Now, just so you know, just so you have a clear image in your head, repentance is I'm going in this direction, and I, and I identify it's not a good direction, and I don't just go like, ah, I shouldn't do this and keep going. It's when repentance is when you go, I don't want that anymore, and you turn the other way. Repentance is the act of going, God, I don't want my way. I want your way. And surrender. Let the Holy Spirit actually renew your thoughts and your attitudes. And second, if I'm removing stuff, what am I replacing it with in the way of Jesus? What am I rehabituating? What habits am I integrating into my life that, that cause me to want increasingly over time to do the things that I want to actually do? And that's through practice. And if you think about practice, practice does not, when, when someone's practicing something new, it's awkward at first. And so if you find yourself, if, if maybe a struggle for you is anger, you're not going to naturally perfectly be less angry right off the jump. And you go like, I'm cured perfectly. Maybe. But there's going to be some things that you're going to have to work through. And it's going to take you time to actually work through that. And there's this practice of actually going, God, am I angry about things that you are angry about? 
and otherwise, what lie am I believing? Is it that you're not in control? Is it that I have to be in control? Is it that I have to control people? Whatever it is, there's something at the root of that. And the other piece is through counterformation. We're being shaped and changed all the time and becoming someone. Are we paying attention to the voices and, and influences that are shaping us and forming us to become more and more like Jesus? What am I actually and actively removing from my old way of life, and what am I replacing it with in the way of Jesus? I do want you to know, for every single person in the room, that right now the Holy Spirit is trying to get your attention. Every single one of us. This is not like, for the mature Christians, like, we're good, everything's perfect. No, ongoing forever. That there are things that God's saying to me, Tyler... Trying to get your attention here. Why are you ignoring me? Okay, for each of us in the room, this is the reality. And you can be like everyone else outside of the context of the church, and you can close your mind and harden your hearts. That, you have that invitation. You have free will to do that. Or you can follow the way of Jesus. And like Paul says in verse 23, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And so let me end where we began with Paul Tripp's quote, because I think it is so helpful for us. To say you are holy means that you have been set apart by God's grace for God's purposes, and your allegiance is no longer to the kingdom of your success and happiness, but to the progress of his kingdom of glory and grace. And where do you do this? You do this wherever you are, whomever you're with, and in whatever you're doing. You have been called the holy living. This means that between the already of your conversion and the not yet of your home going, obedience matters. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice, and every action must be done in a spirit of humble surrender to the commands of God. And as you consider the impossibility of this call, take time to remember that God never calls you to a task without enabling you to do it. God calls us to be holy, then sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we would have the wisdom and strength that we need to surrender to his holy call in all that we do.